You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Robert Walker, and in today's session, I'm joined by Hunter the MC, creator of the Mysteries Unknown Podcast. Hunter, welcome to the show. Great to be here. I'm so glad to have you. I know we've been talking quite a bit back and forth uh, through Instagram and chatting a lot about our role-playing history and everything like that. But can you, for my listeners, tell me a little bit about what first got you interested or started in role-playing? So the story of how it began is kind of fuzzy because a lot that happened uh, pre-COVID. So everything kind of happened from that point to about like the end finally when COVID finally released, it's all kind of a blur because it's mm-hmm. like I'm stuck in my house most of the time, <laughs> as we all were. So, but I remember um I was uh I was attending a technical school at the time, and I think, if I recall correctly, I have a music page that I used to just do everything from at first before I made all my different profiles. And there was a group that followed me on there. And okay, so if the for those who are familiar with the uh, City of Mist podcast people. It's a group called Odd Loot, and they do the Rolling in the Mist City of Mist podcast series. And they followed me, and I checked them out, started listening to them on Spotify, and immediately began to fall in love with the game. And of course, knowing how social media works, of course they start promoting all the City of Mist stuff to me. And I just started checking it out, and I was a, I'm one of those people where it's like, if I'm wanting to do something new, I want to learn it as much Mm -hmm. as I can before I start doing it. So I actually think it's, I didn't start because I just started running games like this past December, but I have been like trying to study on the game for like the last couple of years. So I didn't want to start, well, originally, I I know you were probably going to talk about this, but originally I wanted to be a player Mm -hmm. and no one was running the games. And eventually, I just got to the point where I was like, well, if no one else is going to do it, do it yourself. <laughs> that is the way it kind of goes sometimes, right? Like, you want to play the game, but everybody's, like, afraid to be the one who's going to take the initiative and be the leader and be the DM. So everybody's just like, oh, I don't know who's going to do it. I'm, I definitely have been in that situation early on in my role-playing career. Fortunately for me, I had a buddy who had the book, and he ran that first game for me. And, man, right away, I was addicted to it. It's just one of those things. And and then I love the storytelling aspect of it so much that I w- was very quickly like, I want to try and DM. I want to try and, and run a game because I love telling stories. And this is like the ultimate storytelling venue, right? Yes, agree. And there's also the worry about becoming the forever DM, as I have heard it put. Yes. So which <laughs> I have... I'm probably I'm pretty sure I'm getting close to that point, but in as I look at it, I'm like, I don't doesn't bother me that much because to me, as the so in City of Mist, it's not called DM, it's called the MC, which stands for Masters of Ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And basically, I'm the one controlling the story and how the picture is being painted. And especially with how I'm wired, that's like I love just having that kind of responsibility and power when it comes to gameplay. So I can create this world that revolves around my players as I can see fits mm-hmm. or if they want to do something narrative wise to put into it, we can work it out into the story. So today that fits in perfectly with our main topic, which is collaborative storytelling and how uh, it makes the game better for everyone involved. Essentially what collaborative storytelling is, is that everyone in the game is a part of creating the narrative 
And at the very least, the choices the players have influences over the course of the story, but it can also be a lot more than that. It can be uh, the players are adding their own elements to the story even more than their character actions. Now, you mentioned City of Mist, which is uh, the system that you've been involved in most. As I understand it, which I've never played it, it's more of a narrative-driven role-playing system than some of the others. Can you tell me a little bit about how that system is and how the focus on the narrative makes it a more immersive game for players? Yes. So City of Mist is actually based off of the Power by Apocalypse game system that was created by the Sun of Oak Studios. And the main idea is all it is is you don't need D20s, don't need D100s. All you need is two simple D6 dice. Mm -hmm. And all it is is different moves require different rolls. You get like a, if it's a, a six or below, you fail your move. If it's a seven to a nine, you do the thing, but there might be a complication to what you're trying to do. Anything 10 and then plus above, you successfully do it, no complications whatsoever. Interesting. And so City of Mist is a, I, I would describe it as a dark noir mystery type feel that can range from being the modern day to another podcast I also listened to. They did their setting during the Prohibition era, oh, fun. which makes for really great, which when you have those differences happening, it makes for really good stories of how everything's going to play out. Because mm-hmm. they were playing as people trying to be bootleggers, run and fighting its other bootlegging corporations. That's so that awesome. was fun to listen to. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I mean, my last episode that I just did with uh, the Hammer of the Gods uh, podcast um, was about using alternative histories and things like that. And it's really a fun setting to play in a world that we all know, but be characters that are out of our time and experiencing things that we've only ever heard about in stories or narratives or seen on TV. So I think that's a really kind of a fun thing to do. And it seems like City of Mist being a more narrative-driven system would be really good for creating stories like that. Uh, yes. So the main uh, component behind City of Mist in its stories is that it is just a generic city, but the city is shrouded in a purple mist. And this mist hides the supernatural and the paranormal from those who can do, cannot like touch into it. So it's a range of specter, spectrums of how the people are in the game. Very beginning, you have the sleepers. These are the people that are normal humans, no powers whatsoever. Then you have the rifts, and these are the people that have powers. And have, what kind of powers these people have? There's different levels. I'm not going to go into them all in detail. But you can be derived from different mythological figures or different people from history. Hmm. Like you can have someone be the – like you can have like – as I like to say, the crook, the milkman, when the mist is aside, he's the he's the crooked man mm. from the old Mother Goose stories. Or you go to this bodega, and there's the rift of Cleopatra right behind the counter taking your orders or whatever. Huh. So the mist hides this from normal people, and these people are the rifts. And then you get the avatars, and these are the people that have completely given in to these rifts. So they don't. So they're no longer like human. They believe they are these people. Like if someone had the rift of Caesar and he became an avatar, he himself would believe that he is Caesar and would follow like the storyline for Caesar. That's awesome. So you're working on a podcast yourself called Mysteries Unknown, which is a City of Mist uh, actual play podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, do you have a theme for your first campaign or when you'll be launching? So just due to my summer schedule and just me being a single dad myself, which I'm sure a lot of other people can relate to having kids and stuff, because I've actually got to know people who are also parents and stuff in mm-hmm. this 
world of tabletop RPG systems. I'm a bunch of these different Discord servers where I get to interact with these people all the time. And that's one of the things I love about Discord is getting to meet people from all over the world. So I'm not going to be starting until this upcoming fall. So only a couple months away, so it won't be too long. And I actually put it up to a vote in the City of Mist Discord server, which one I was going to do first because... I wasn't gonna just. I didn't want to come off and do a homebrew. I just kind of wanted to like bring a case mm-hmm. that City of Mist actually has that isn't getting a lot of attention. So I gave people a choice to vote, and the one I'm going to do first is called Demons at Cross End, which is a case which was actually a case that they provided free with their Kickstarter set. Fun, and that's basically about you're trying to figure out like this gang is rising up in the city, and there's all these other things happening. So you just gotta get down to the bottom of it, basically. So would I be uh, correct in assuming then that the cases for City of Mist are similar to like a module for D&D or an adventure path for Pathfinder? It's a pre- pre-published adventure that you can run through that they have created and is available? Uh, yes, you can actually get you can actually get the star set free off the City of Mist website. And then they also have links for some other cases and all that that you can either get for free or purchase. And they actually, the cool thing about City of Mist, they actually have a, it's called the City of Mist Garages done through the drive through RPG website where that you can actually create your own characters and cases and dangers and stuff, which dangers are the enemies in City of Mist. And you can actually give those away, or they can sell them online for like a s- small amount of the portion. Mm-hmm. So it's so City of Mist allows people in the community to create the, also things around the game too, which is really amazing when, you, when I scroll through and I see all the different cases that people created, all the different characters. So it's really cool just how creative that you can be with this game. And so do you find with, with only having like a two dice system, it is a more story based system than like the tactics and things that you see in a lot of other uh, systems like D and D or Pathfinder. Do you feel like it is more of a story driven type of a game? Oh yes. It is mainly a story driven type game. 100%. Now I don't know much about Pathfinder. That's why I'm still fairly new to hearing about I have been trying to learn D&D because I do want to run that because mm-hmm. I do plan to run other tabletop RPGs on my podcast and not just City Mist alone. Mm-hmm. So I've been saying other RPG systems as well. It's just City Mist just happens to be the main one. And so, but yeah. So another thing about City of Mist that makes it different from D&D is you don't have stats like D&D does. You have theme books. And again... It depends on how many theme books you have per character, depending on how into touch to the rift you want them to be. Mm. Like, so they can be touched, and that only means they have one mythos power, which is basically the thing that ties into what they're reaching out to. They can be borderline, which is two, or they can be legendary, which is three. And then they have the logos themes, which is this is what ties them to their human side, which could be like their job, their family, a specific event that happened, an item that they have. And days and there's different tags, power and weakness tags under it. And what you do is when you roll those two d six, you pick as many of those power tags as you can hmm. to add to that roll to try to get the best outcome of the story as you can. But of course, me as the MC, I could decide okay, this weakness tag can be used against you, or there's other stats that will subtract from this roll as well. Like if they have um a like if they have a status that's mental or physical that can affect them, or if this enemy has this advantage or whatever as well. That sounds really interesting. So do the do the players around the table as you're playing in this system, do they put a lot into the narrative, into the story as well, or does it mostly come from the Master of Ceremonies? So I, how I look at it is I just create the main story. I say, 
Here's what happens. This is what revolves around. You're going to meet these people throughout. But how everything plays out in between is basically what the role the dice may end up eventually coming to. Yeah. So that's basically what happened. So like I said, there's three different outcomes to the story. So the story can go one of many ways that mm-hmm. you know. So you mentioned before you have like your uh, ranges on the dice, which is your failures, your partial success, or like your complete success. So kind of in, in every scenario that you stand, um, that you put your players in, they're kind of faced with this, okay, it's always kind of the same even chance for success or failure with most of the chance being like right there in the middle. It partially works, but doesn't necessarily work exactly the way you wanted to. Oh, yeah. That's part of the fun about it as being both the MC and or the player is you don't know what's going to happen. And it's like you hear I've listened to several City Miss podcasts. It's always funny what players joke about. Oh, the MC wants you to fail so they can make this story go <laughs> however they want. But it's like I, there's only like one instance I had where that happened. And I can explain all that with another question. <laughs> but yeah, but no, I actually enjoy not knowing what's going to happen next because I can set up like. Okay, so I had this one scene where they had to fight a Wendigo, and it and they were like in this underground uh, abandoned uh, meat plant meat packing factory, mm. and they had to try to and when they were trying to escape it because I gave this Wendigo basically immunity to physical attacks, they had to run through these maze of tunnels and they didn't know what was going to happen. Is he going to pop out? Are they going to have to? Can they run? Can they fight it? That sounds fun. That's always the fun part is you don't know exactly how it's going to happen. If So it's like, oh, I'm going to blast with a fireball, roll those dice and see if it hits. Interesting, yeah. So I, I do kind of like that idea where it is more – it seems a little bit more random, a little bit more chaotic than, uh, say, characters in, in a D&D game, which might not take the same kind of a risk if they know that something's only you know 50-50 or – or whatever, they might just stick to what they know is going to succeed. But it sounds like in City of Mist, there's a little bit more randomness in that, yeah, the dice are kind of the the narrator of the story in that way. Yeah, and uh, another interesting thing about City of Mist that different, makes it different from D&D is D&D, you have hit points. Uh, City of Mist, you have tracking card statuses that range from, like, you, the lowest one, which is, like, you can get, like, a cut one if you're trying to find an enemy and it's cost scratch across you. And then, uh, basically, um, the equivalent of getting a status 5 is, like, you're out of the game, which is like in D&D, if you got the 0 and you got to make the death save rolls. Mm-hmm. And then getting a status 6 is you're done for, like, when you fail the death save rolls in D&D. But at that point, it's like you can either – City of Mist allows you to kind of be more open with what happens next once your character dies. You can either create a brand new character out of the gate or something radical just changes them and they come back, but mm-hmm. not as the same as they were before. So, like, how I would run it is if I had a character that just completely died, I would give him the choice to possibly lose part of the human. I would give, I would say, you can bring them back, but they lose a logo theme, have to replace it with a mythos, bringing them closer to losing their humanity, mm-hmm. that character's humanity. So, so they become closer to those characters that, like, accept themselves as the rift or whatever it is then. Yeah, and it's, there's actually, in one of the expansions that say Miss Cells, there's actually a council of avatars that kind of run things behind the scenes in the city. And so it's like, yeah. They can become the avatar, but now it's like, how can they twist things to their benefit? Mm, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it seems kind of like there's always these two parallel worlds happening at the same time, and they sort of interact in like this 
maybe like a gray zone. It, it kind of, in D and D in terms, it kind of reminds me of like uh, the idea of like the shadow plane, you know, it's a, it's a mirror of our world, but things there are twisted and different and there's just different reflections of what people are, what places are. Yeah. And um, there's actually a theme for enclaves, which is like, um, like I actually, so even though I'm not a player, I have in my free time, I create some characters just for the heck of it. And I actually create a character that is the Rift of Davy Jones, and he has an enclave, which is the Flying Dutchman, which awesome. is just a, a flying pirate ghost ship. Yeah. That, how he summons this, he finds a flagpole, puts the pirate flag up on it, and here comes the ship in the night sky. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, so I do want to talk a little bit more. Um, I like to talk about psychology in this podcast as well. So I do want to touch, touch a little bit on that for a moment. So one thing that I, I've been shared with, with by you is that you happen to live with autism and how would you say that that influences the way that you role play so um if you're familiar with people who have autism one of the famous sayings that usually most people will be familiar with is we think in pictures not in words so i know especially me growing up i used to be when i was younger i used to be a huge reader i could read book after book after book and to me when i read a book in my mind, it's playing a movie. Like, mm-hmm. as I read the words, it turns into a picture, and I see it all play out in my head. And I used to love the uh, – in the English class, when you get the assignment to, oh, you have to write an extra chapter. You have to make a fake extra chapter to this book, mm. which the one thing that sticks out to me the most is – I don't know if you've ever read the book The Outsiders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, eighth grade English. Of course, it's that one book you have to do the whole month lesson plan on thing. And one of the extra, extra assignments was write a – I think there's originally 12 chapters in the book. I think I can't remember. You have to write a 13th chapter. And I think I wrote like 20 pages and I had to stop <laughs> myself because then it would have just kept on going. So me having autism really gives into more of my creative side, my imagination. And that's one of the things I love about City of Mist is, and I don't limit myself to only staying with like current mythological and historical figures. I will take things from like TV shows and all that too. Like I created a fictional character of gatekeepers and i'll go into those more later in a minute that are based off batman villains mm. and i call them the chaos crew because basically their <laughs> idea was is if something's get out crazy they go in and take care of it in the wildest way possible that, that sounds like interesting villains to deal with for sure well these are actually the gatekeepers are actually supposed to be the good guys it just happens that they make the most biggest mess trying to get things done so they're uh kind of like the uh oh, what was that the suicide squad almost kind of feel Basically, yeah. So let me put this in perspective really quick since I already mentioned it. The gatekeepers in the City of Mist lore are agents that work from the shadows. And basically their idea is don't let the sleepers know that rifts exist. Otherwise, Hmm. it messes up the normality of everything. And they have – and actually in the theme books of their expansions, they have their own set of powers and stuff. Like they have gadgets that can like like, – nullify that's the word they can nullify rift's abilities and they can also like use mystical relics as long as they don't give into the mythos of that relic as well to their yeah. advantage as well like i had a uh also create a gatekeeper that he has a relic that's the leviathan axe that kratos uses in the god of war games oh cool love that weapon that's such a great great game yeah i actually use him in one of my current i'm running a current horror based campaign that's a homebrew and i actually have him as an npc and i made him i call him agent kratos just kind of like one of those giveaways (laughs) that oh he's related to this kind of this in the sense this character so so one of my other friends uh who lives with autism told me once that being a role player with autism is sort of like having a role-playing superpower does that 
feel accurate to you? Does that description ring ring true to you? I would definitely agree with him because uh, just as I said before, the creativity and the imagination for me can be endless with what you're trying to do or create. Like, I got this horror campaign that I'm running with a bunch of friends, or I create a cabal of like urban legends and monsters from just all different genres. Like, I used a uh, like I made the trying to like I said I had the Wendigo. I got Golden Freddy from the Five Nights at Freddy's game. <laughs> I turned him into a I turned him to a purple and gold Willy Wonka looking guy that's a toy maker. And then I had a I took uh, Lady Dimitrescu from Resident Evil. And I completely changed her up and made her this giant tobacco uh, overlord kind nice. of deal. So you could take – so like even though City of Mist itself is stink, tries to stick mainly with historical figures and myths, I don't hold that restriction because I like to be able to be like, okay, I know this and I know this. What can I do with it? So it definitely helps you with like the visualization of your world and seeing things – as they were like cinematic, as they were part of a movie or something, rather than just words on a page. It's actually funny that you describe it as a movie because a lot of the moves, like some of them are described as like core and cinematic moves. And you also have like flashback moves and montage moves. So it's basically it's basically like a noir movie feel almost in a sense, depending on what kind of game you're running. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so in my book, I, I talked about that a lot is the idea of making your stories feel cinematic. You want everything to to be represented in your players' minds kind of the way that it would look in a movie. It should have all those elements of like great dialogue and good action and emotional music and just all the like things that draw you into a really well-done movie, I think are very similar to what draws you into a really well-told story, especially when you're at the table and you're having those like in-person live conversations um, so I, I think in a lot of ways, thinking of movies as a building block of how to write a story is very useful. Yeah, and I always, um, I will always start off any game I run because I'm also, Son of Oak also has a uh, another uh, tabletop RPG. It's called Queers, which is more of a Power Rangers, but rainbow. <laughs> so, but it's, I've started, I just recently started running that game with a bunch of people. And but either way, how I run it, I always do some kind of like intro kind of monologue type deal, which um, I wish I had it pulled up because I would love to read this to you how it sounds in my head. But I had this great intro that I would did that I use for all my city and miss games where it's like the city, even in the normal daylight, things lurk in the darkness. And like I said, like I mm-hmm. mentioned, like the crooked man is the milk man that brings you your milk every day. Cleopatra could be the woman behind the counter at the bodega. Then it's like, this is the city. This is just one of the stories. Oh, fun. Yeah. It, it Which, kinda... now what I say, it sounds more like a Law and Order intro when I think about it, but you get <laughs> dun, the dun, idea. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> That's pretty great, though. Like, um, I can see what you mean, though. I, I, I agree with the idea of, as you're using that as an intro, because I've said in my book, I've said it on my podcast, one of the most important pieces of writing that you're ever going to do is the introduction. It's what grabs your players' attentions at the very beginning. And so I think that having something like that that can really direct their attention and give them a feel of what your world is going to be like is super important. It sounds like you have a good way of doing that. Yeah, so I'll share this for example of how I kind of do it was um, so my horror campaign, which is completely homebrew, that I made up with myself, after that intro, I started with the city, a normal day, and but and everyone everyone's walking by, going to work. 
focuses in on like one of those TV store windows that has all the mini TVs. Mm-hmm. And the news comes up and it gives a report about another child disappearance. Because in this game, kids have been disappearing for decades and no one knows what's happening. Mm. And then you take, well, there was five when I started. There's now only three, which is a downside to when you're running a game is when people have to leave or they just disappear without equation, yeah. which actually took a toll on me at first. Like I abandoned one of my games for a moment because just everyone kept leaving and it really took a toll on me because when people leave, even if it's for like a reason, mm-hmm. a good one, it makes me, it would make me sometimes feel like I'm not doing a good enough job mm-hmm. trying to run this game as so that way they can enjoy it. And I feel like any that's a big problem, I think, with just anyone in general, is that can really take a toll on you if you're trying to run a game and people just keep leaving. Well, it can definitely be a blow to the ego, uh, for sure, and kind of make you question, oh, uh, was it because I was doing something wrong or my story wasn't engaging enough? But it is important to remember, I think, that you know real life happens, and as much as we want to be here as sort of an escape uh, to real life, but sometimes it doesn't always work out that the people you start playing with are the ones you get to keep playing with. I've been at least fortunate in my group that most of us, 80 to 90% of the time, we're available to play altogether. But sometimes people do have to come and go. And uh, there's always a spot at the table for them, so, so to speak, when life turns into a spot where the, they can come back. Yeah. And I agree with that, especially with ever since COVID started. It really was like that for so many people. But mm-hmm. that's when places like Discord and Roll20, yeah. they were able to provide more opportunities for people like, hey, we know you can't meet in public. Try through us. Mm-hmm. And it really just kind of brought people back together again. Not Even though it's not the same as being like at the table and physically rolling the dice. It's still just a good feeling just to be able to like hear someone's voice and type in the watch the dice roll across the screen. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think, you know, there are so many people that became introduced to tabletop role playing games because of the pandemic. And I think our community grew a lot as a result of that. Yeah. And like I said, I started listening to like Let's Play podcasts pre COVID. And then when I got, when post COVID, here I am now running games, uh, learning other tabletop RPG systems, mm-hmm. and actually discovering other tabletop RPG systems just through the community alone. And I can talk about those another episode, but I feel <laughs> I'm not trying, I'm trying to keep us on topic, but so many <laughs> things tie into everything. So it definitely does. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to Tricks of the Trade. Okay, in today's Tricks of the Trade, I've asked Hunter to come up with uh, three ideas for how to get players more involved in the narrative of the story and add into collaborative storytelling. I also came with three ideas of my own to share. Uh, So I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, My first idea would be um, letting your players describe their actions in battle and how their attacks and monster kills look. So this could be like whenever they deal the final blow to a character, the DM could then say, okay, how did you destroy this character? And they could say, oh, okay, well, I you know, did a spinning thrust move and pierced him through the heart. Or you know, I took my battle axe and cleaved off his head. Just adding pieces of the narrative on their own in how they want it to look is that idea. Yeah, so a couple of tricks of trade that I have is, like I've stated before, don't be afraid to get creative with the story and the characters in the story. Because no matter how many times you run it, it's going to be different every time you do it. That's Mm. because 
Again, because not just roll the dice, you can always introduce new characters and give them zany abilities that you never would have thought of before until just a moment to go. And so it's been, that's one of the things I have. Yeah, definitely. That kind of ties into one of my other ideas, which is um, inviting your players to create an NPC that then you'll add to your world at some point. So they come up with like, oh, I want, you know, Frederick the farmer who's a milk farmer, and I want him to have this weird quirky attitude. And here you go, DM, put him in the story somewhere. And then, you know, next week or the week after or later, they'll meet Frederick the farmer and uh, just kind of have this piece of the story that your characters wrote that then you incorporate as, as part of your world. It's actually funny that you talk about like create the like, players creating the NPCs because I bring up Blowing the Mist a lot because that was one of the first ones that got me hooked on everything. So shout out to the Outlook crew and Kevin Carpenter who actually works with Sun Oak Studios to promote all their stuff. They're definitely the biggest inspirations to why I do this and why I'm about to start a podcast now. And they actually had scenes during the first season where it's like, oh, we have two NPCs at this poker table. You guys pick it up. Mm-hmm. So you get guys like Steve Millerson from the Midwest area coming here every Friday and losing everything. <laughs> or you get the mute Carlos Sangria who just sits there with his cold, bald head, just waiting to make the next move and hoping to win. So that's just so they provide like the best examples of what you just stated. Awesome. So and my second point actually ties into one you said earlier as um use descriptive details to describe the scene or the scenario cuz that especially in city and mist that's what's going to tie all this together and just paint that picture of what's going on for you and your players so yeah like you said like players about to deliver the final bro Either I have them tell me what it was to be and I'll act it out for them or I'll be like, it's your move. You tell me what happens and Mm -hmm. give it to your best narrative ability. Because there's some people out there like not everyone's going to be able to role play 100% well. There are people that are beginner role players. Some they're like more amateur Mm -hmm. expert role players. So it's just working with everyone and seeing what they're comfortable with. Absolutely. I think that that's very important. Uh, My last idea would be to ask your players to name things as though they're explorers discovering a new land. And you can do this like any time that they're out in the wilderness or things like this, they come up on a cave, ask the characters to name the cave. Like there's so many opportunities for, you know, a DM when they have to come up with names on the spot, pull ideas from your players as well and say, Hey, what do you guys think this person's name should be? And then record that in your notes. It's one less name that you had to come up with on the spot and it lets them have a little more investment in the creation of your world. Yeah. Uh, one of the funny things that I that ties into that was one of the things I did in the same horror campaign was um, I like to take – I like to parody actual places and things. So one day they all decided, oh, for this move, we're all going to go Taco Bell. I say – and I went, okay, you all go to Burrito Chime, which your logo is a triangle <laughs> with a burrito bringing it. Yes. So they go to the Burrito Chime, and one of them, for narrative purposes and just to mess with everyone, said, I'm going to eat the taco the wrong way. And the other two just stare at them narratively. So it's funny. <laughs> it's just awesome. those, sometimes those little moments when there's nothing going on, mm-hmm. and they that can be like the most memorable and funniest things. Absolutely. And which brings me to the third trick of the trade that I was going to say is just have fun with it. Because even though, like, you got these fights planned out, they got this mission they got to do. At the end of the day, if you guys aren't having fun with it, it's all for naught in the sense. Because mm-hmm. my players should be enjoying it just as much as I have. So it's like if one player rolls miserably, 
we should all enjoy that misery basically at that point. <laughs> yes. It's like, he failed. Let's see what happens and how he gets hurt kind of deal. But, of course, it's all in a joking manner. We're not actually wanting him to die or anything. Right. It's just all part of the story. Just have fun with it and have a good time. I totally agree with that. I, I do think in my uh, gaming history, some of our best stories have come off from failures. The dice have not I mean, you've heard it before, probably in other podcasts or other stories, is that the dice know the story, even if you don't, right? So there's sometimes just seeing what the dice rolls, this is where the story is going, let's make it a great story, even if it wasn't what we intended on our character's action to be. I've actually never heard that before. I like that. I'm stealing that. (laughs) (laughs) Use it and spread it around, because it's one of my favorite things. Okay, thank you, Hunter the DM or MC, I guess I should say, for being here today. Uh, but before we... MC, DM, GM, just depends on the game I'm playing. For Say You Miss, it's MC, Dungeons & Dragons, DM, everything else, GM. It just depends on what I'm doing, so... Awesome. Well, Hunter, thank you. Um, before we go, I want to ask you how my listeners can connect with you, either directly or where they can stay abreast of when your show will be releasing. Okay, so once again, uh, the Mysteries Unknown podcast, and actually... To just to point out, it's mysteries with an I instead of a Y because it is based around Lost City of Mist campaigns. Mm-hmm. And that will be available. I plan to make it available on Spotify and Apple. And they should come out fall of 2022 is when I plan to get started. I'm not going to guarantee like if it'll be weekly or however it is because I am, again, this is my first time ever doing something like this. So I would just ask everyone to be patient with me as I am a first time podcaster doing this kind of thing. However, if you want to keep up to date on what I'm doing and how the podcast is coming along, you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram under the same, they're both the same username. It's the Mist Unk Podcast. That is M I S T U N K Podcast. And those are both my Twitter and Instagram handles, which I quote about because of how I spell I I say it's the Me Stunk Podcast sometimes just because of how the spelling <laughs> came out because I was just trying to abbreviate it and that's just how it came out. I'm like, I'm sticking with it because that will be a good running joke. And if you ever just want to reach out to me personally and talk to me about anything, you can email me, uh, mistunkpodcast at gmail.com. So M-I-S-T-U-N-K podcast, gmail.com. Awesome. So listeners, if you like this episode, please check out Mysteries Unknown, connect with them on Instagram or on the web, and also please subscribe to this podcast, leave it a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and check out my book, Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. It's available on Amazon, and there's a link to it in the show notes. And feel free to send me an email if you have any suggestions, comments, or ideas for future shows. The address is all one word, dungeonsdragonspsychology at gmail.com. Thank you again so much, Hunter. I appreciate you being with me today. It was a real pleasure and great time talking to you. Thank you very much for having me on. And everyone, make sure to follow this handsome man's podcast because (laughs) I have definitely learned a lot from it just listening to his weekly shows as well. So everyone learns a little bit of something. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you next session.